Well, good morning and uh, a special good morning today to our Hobart Portage campus because today represents four years of that ministry uh, being there and taking place. And so I say to you at HP, congratulations. And we say that together. It is nothing short of a pure privilege to share with you what we have before us today from God's Word. This truly is one of the most wonderful truths and most wonderful passages in all of the Bible. And I'm just going to read it, I'm going to try to explain it, and then we are going to rejoice in it and hopefully leave here dancing today. So we are in the book of Romans. We're preaching through Romans. We are inching through Romans 8. And we come now to verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. May God bless his word to us today. I was, I was so encouraged this last week, I heard from so many people that somehow in a particular way last week's message really connected. And uh, it's important in context just to be reminded of what Paul said that we saw last week, that uh, a Christian is somebody who hates their sin and seeks to kill their sin, to put their sin to death by the Holy Spirit. And we drew the analogy like a cancer patient feels towards their cancer. And obviously a cancer person who has cancer, they hate their cancer. They want to get rid of not just some of their cancer, they want to get rid of all of their cancer. They don't want a single cancer cell in their body. And similarly, a Christian's posture towards sin, now on the other side of the cross and the other side of salvation, is to look at sin as what took Jesus to the cross, to look at my sin as being guilt that he bore and to hate it and to not want it to be a part of my life anymore, to kill all of it, every single cell. Of course, uh, sin is more dangerous than cancer. Cancer takes you to the grave. Sin takes you to hell. And so we should hate our sin. And out of that then comes this wonderful passage before us today. Again, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And here we are introduced to a major doctrine in all of the Bible. It is the doctrine of adoption. Say it with me, adoption. If you are led by the Spirit, you are sons and daughters of God. I think this at first, if, if you're brand new to Christianity, or maybe this is the first church service you ever attended, this may sound sort of fanciful or uh, imaginative, that uh, we have the opportunity and possibility through Christ to be sons and daughters of God. Really? Well... You might say, well, this is one of those passages, it's hard to interpret, and so we're not sure what it means, and we'll just move on. But in reality, as you read through the New Testament, this is something that comes up over and over and over again. Adoption, being children of God. Here's a great example, John 1. Near the beginning of the Gospel of John, John writes this, but to all who did receive him, 
who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He doesn't wait to the end of his gospel. He says it right there at the beginning of his gospel. And as you read through the New Testament, it just comes up over and over and over again that we are adopted into the family of God. And so this is our subject today and where we're going. But let's walk through it now. Again, verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now, people talk about being led by the Spirit, and most often what I hear them, the context is they, they are talking about like some major decision in their life, where I'm going to go to college, who I'm going to marry, what house I'm going to buy, what vocation I'm going to be in. They, they'll say, I was led by the Spirit. And I want you to see that's not what Paul is talking about here, not some kind of mystical leading in terms of decision-making, but rather what he's seeing, what he's describing here is that we are led by the Spirit in verse 13 to kill sin by the Spirit, and in verse 14, that we are led uh, by the Spirit, uh, those that are led by the Spirit are sons and daughters of God. So this is not a mystical sort of decision-making, I'm being led by the Spirit. No, when we have the indwelling Spirit, when we have God within us, the God we just sang is the thrice holy God, holy, holy, holy There is in our very spiritual DNA a kind of posture towards sin that wants to kill sin, as we saw last week. So we don't don't, uh, battle sin in order to be sons of God. We care about moral direction of our life because we are children of God. We're in the family. As an example, think about your last family gathering. Okay? The family reunion, or maybe you call it the freak show. <laughs> and that's how all our families feel to us, truly. But if, if you go to these things, it's weird how, as you look around, all these people, aunts, uncles, cousins, and all of that, so many of them, there's this like family resemblance. And some of it is the way that they look, some of it is the way that they talk. Some of it is the way that they walk. Some of it is the way that they turn their head and laugh a certain way. Some of them it's just the laugh itself. But you're like, there is a resemblance that all of these people have because they are connected by the same DNA. And what, what Paul is saying here is spiritually that is the case for us. That all of us who are led by the Spirit, all of us who are indwelled by the Spirit, and again, indwelling of the Spirit is God's presence in us by the Holy Spirit as a result of our justification, our salvation. God sends His Spirit. He dwells within all of us in a way that I don't understand, but the Bible emphasizes that, that God is within us, not making us gods, but dwelling within us. And that family resemblance leads all true sons and daughters of God to approach their sin like cancer. And to not view sin like something that I get to do now and still go to heaven. As we've emphasized, salvation by grace is not uh, freedom to sin. It is the freedom by the Spirit not to sin and to not want that anymore in my life. And so we see here that that family thing that's going on here, there is a DNA trait that all of us have with an aversion to sin from the inside. 
Religion is the opposite of that, okay? Religions of the world, they approach it where they conform from the outside in. But see here, those that are led by the spirit that dwells within us, it is from the inside out. Christianity is an inside out religion. Or if you want to call it religion, maybe you can, maybe you can't. Verse 14, and now we get into the thick of it. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now I'm going to assume today that all of us are familiar with this concept of adoption. This is a part of our society. Uh, you, maybe you've adopted, may, you may have family members that have adopted, you probably know people that have adopted, maybe you were, yourself were adopted, and certainly adoption is, for us, one of these wonderful aspects of society, because it's just, it's family love on display. This is an amazing thing, that a family welcomes into their family somebody that is not connected by DNA, and yet through adoption is welcomed as a son or daughter with all the rights and privileges thereof. What a wonderful thing adoption is. An act of love and an act of law. Adopted children are cared for. They are provided for. They have a roof over their heads. They have food on the table. There is a parent or two. And most importantly, there is love and belonging. An orphan is the opposite of that. An orphan is somebody who has lost their parents, and by losing their parents, they have lost that sense of love, parental love, and also the sense of belonging. Where I belong to this family, there are people with whom I identify. An orphan doesn't have that. Adoption provides for it, and it is a huge blessing to the child and a huge blessing to the parents as well. I mean, this is uh, such an exciting day for parents, and we should pray for our parents that are in the adoption process. We have many families that have adopted in our church. We have many families that are in the process of adopting in our church, and I appreciate the sound effects. It's perfect right now for what I'm talking about. Please keep it up. Pinch the child if you must. Okay? But what a happy day that is for for. Adoptive parents, perhaps you've seen these uh, pictures of they show the adopted child and there's the parents. And, and actually, after first service, I had somebody come up to me and say, did you know that the Burdines, and of course I know the Burdines, longtime family in our church, been waiting two years in the adoption process. And I was told after first service today that yesterday they welcomed little Noah into their family after a two-year wait. What are they feeling today? Elation and joy. And so adoption, it's, it's, it's children. He doesn't know it yet, but he should be happy. Uh, so overjoyed to be adopted. And, and parents who are just rejoicing to welcome a son or daughter into their home. Adoption is, in human society, one of the most wonderful blessings that, that we have, truly. Ancient adoption was similar but different. 
And remember, we're reading a 2,000-year-old document that was written to a certain group of people in a certain context. Paul writes it to uh, Roman Christians. And in the Greco-Roman world, they also practiced adoption. But they did so for different reasons. In the ancient world, if it was a, um, it was a bad thing if you didn't have an heir to pass on your home to, to pass on your resources, to pass on your name. And so what would happen if a family didn't have any children is that they would adopt, probably typically a son, and he would take on the family name. He would become an heir to the family possessions. He would, he would carry on the family legacy. And so they were very familiar with adoption in the Roman society. The Romans that he's writing to would have known what adoption is. It was very much practiced in that culture. Now listen, everybody. What I want you to realize when we talk about adoption is that unlike other things in the Bible, where there are aspects of society that illustrate something about how God has treated us, when we're talking about adoption, it is not an illustration, it is a thing, okay? It is a reality, it is a truth that God, by his grace and in his love, has placed sinners into his family, that they actually are, as a result of that, children of God, truly in the family of God. Now listen, listen to, uh, here's our church's doctrinal statement, okay, the doctrinal foundation document of our church. Here's how our church's doctrinal statement describes this. From the moment of conversion... All believers are forever adopted into God's family. They permanently become his children and are declared heirs with Christ. Their position is not maintained by human works, for it is by God's power and grace that one's salvation is kept sure. Therefore, all genuine Christians can have great confidence that their hope is certain, their faith will persevere, and their future is secure. I think that says it very well. Now, chapter 8, verse 15 here says it memorably that we weren't given a spirit of slavery and fear, but a spirit of sonship. Now, notice with me, notice the letters, the letter S on spirit of fear. Capitalized? No. Lowercase. But then you get to spirit of sonship, and what is spirit? It is capitalized. Why? Because the translators are recognizing here that the spirit of fear, that's a human thing. But the spirit of sonship is actually a title for the Holy Spirit. When you think about the Holy Spirit, many Christians, we think about him as the, the great paraclete. He's the comforter. He's the illuminator. But we need to understand that it is the Holy Spirit who is the adoption agency. He is the agent by which... We go from being spiritual orphans to being actual members of God's family. Calvin called him that, the adopter, as a title. By the Holy Spirit, we are given a family. By the Holy Spirit, we are given status. And he is the agency who places children in the family of God. And if you are a Christian today, you are the child that the Spirit has put in the family of God. And here's where it gets so absolutely, like so tenderly, wonderfully rich here. Notice, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
This little phrase, friends, might become your all-time favorite phrase in the whole book of Romans. Why do I say that? Abba. Okay, Abba. Notice it says Abba, Father. So Father is the Greek word there. Abba, though, is Aramaic. And Aramaic was one of the ancient languages. It was common in the day of the Bible. And Abba in Aramaic is not Father in the sort of like Father, but is more accurately translated in our culture as Daddy. Daddy. A very personal word. A family word. In fact, we find Abba, it's used three times in the New Testament. Here's the other two. Mark chapter 14, verse 36. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is, he is like, you know, bleeding out of his head. He's so distraught. He's praying to his heavenly Father, and he says this. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. In that moment, Jesus praying to his heavenly Father Praise Abba. Here's Galatians 4, verse 6, the third use of this, similar to the Romans 8 passage. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That should sound familiar. Now, friends, realize the context of this. We live in a day where people, you know, OMG and use God's name for silly and irreverent things, and I hope none of us do that, okay? But we live in a day where God's name is not revered. But you go back to the Jewish culture of the first century and, and past, and really, frankly, even the, the, the current Jewish culture, the name of God is highly revered. So much so that in the ancient uh, Jewish culture, they would not use God's self-disclosed name, which God gave to Moses at the burning bush, Yahweh. They wouldn't do it. And to be sure that they didn't do it, they inserted vowels in between those consonants, and that's where we get Jehovah. They would say Jehovah, lest they be irreverent with God's name, Yahweh. How do you think people prayed when that was the understanding? What, how did they address God when that was Jehovah, right? Jesus comes along in the first century, and he prays. Father. He teaches the disciples to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. He prayed, Father. People didn't pray that way. Why? Because Jesus understood something that I want all of us to understand here today regarding this God in heaven. And he uses an intimate word, Abba. It would have been nothing short of shocking. You know, my dad growing up, my dad, he would never let us call him father. And if we ever did, even jokingly, he'd say, don't call me that. We were required to call him dad or daddy or some version thereof. And in my dad's story, I think I understand why. My dad's dad died when he was four. So basically, my, whole, my, my dad's whole life, he never was able to turn and say, hey, dad. So I think that made him like hearing it, actually. And so we would say, hey, Dad, not hey, Father. Well, I think we must never irreverence the name of God. That Abba is used here 
certainly urges us to understand our relationship with God on a more personal and deeper level of intimacy than I think most of us are likely to do. And this is not us saying to call it that. This is God inspiring his word to urge us to see him and understand this relationship this way. What a privilege it is. I'll never forget my, uh, when my oldest daughter uh, was just an infant. And, uh, you know, we, were, we couldn't wait to hear her talk. And, of course, Jennifer and I were like, you know, is it going to be daddy first? Is it going to be mommy first? And I was pretty sure I was going to win that one. Uh, but uh, we, so we were all the time listening. And so, you know, there she is. And she's like, ah, you know, the, the jibber-jabber of a baby. Doing this number. And I remember the day she was like, I'm like, I heard it. I heard it in there. Did you hear that? She said, da, da. I was so happy. Mama came later. And now I think Mama wishes it didn't happen as much as it does, actually. (laughs) But we were so excited for our daughter. I was excited to call me Dada. One indication that we are children of God is that we cry out to God, Abba, Father. Friends, where do we instinctively turn when we are afraid? That's another thing. We didn't have to teach our girls that, you know, hey, when something scary is happening, you come and wrap yourself around our legs. (laughs) Didn't have to teach them that. They instinctively when they sense danger or where they're unsure, here they come. And I've got, you know, these two girls just, you know, wrapped around both of my legs. And why do they come to us? Because instinctively, daddy represents safety. Daddy represents presence and love. How do we know if we are children of God? Where do we turn in times of trouble? Where do we go? When we're afraid, to whom do we turn when we are overwhelmed? Can I ask you that? Where do you go? Where do you go? The Spirit creates in us an awareness that we are children of God and compels us to cry out to Him. I wonder how might just this concept, friend, listen to me, how might just this concept of Abba transform your relationship with God. To see it on a whole, not my judge, not the God who is out there in the distance, but my Abba. Please note that it doesn't say we whisper Abba. What does it say there? We cry Abba. We cry out Abba. When do we cry out for things? How about, how about happy times? Daddy! How about sad times? Daddy. How about fearful times? Daddy. Again, why do we turn to a daddy in the highs and lows? Because daddy represents presence and strength, at least he should. Not fear. We don't give into a spirit of fear. Maybe you're here today and fear is dominating your life. 
And you think, maybe this is what it means to be a Christian, just to live in a spirit of fear. No. The Holy Spirit does not urge us to live in a spirit of fear. He urges us to understand the spirit of adoption and to cry out to him, Abba. It made me think of this famous picture. I'm sure you've seen it before. Here you have the most powerful man in the world in the most powerful spot in the world and yet his son is free to play at his feet. And friends, the God of the universe has so ordered redemption that the end result for us is that we are welcomed into his glorious presence through prayer and he is never too busy with other important matters not to hear our cry. Abba. And I just think today, listen, I don't know everybody here, but I know a lot of you. And I've been around long enough to know the ups and downs that many of the stories are represented in this room. And I can assume right now that most of us are dealing with some major trial in our life. And I just wonder how many here, instead of looking here and looking here, ought to look up. And to actually cry out, Abba. Abba. And by that posture, to go to your heavenly Father. What about that besetting sin in your life? You've tried this, you've tried that. How about trying this? Again, what about that trial that is overwhelming you? Or the fear that you have? Or a pain in your life? How about by the Spirit, crying out, Abba? Can I give you the opportunity to do that right now? This is a place of worship. We're the family of God. How about right now, if that's you, just out loud, would you just cry out to your Heavenly Father, Abba, could you do that? Abba. And to know he hears and he cares and he loves. What a beautiful, wonderful thing this is to be adopted into the family of God. We need to move on. We're going to do 16 and 17 today. It says this, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. I call the first section the Holy Spirit as the adoption agency. And here we find that he is also the agent in assurance. And Romans 8 is about many things, but it certainly unfolds the wonderful truths of the Holy Spirit. And here is another one. That the Holy Spirit bears witness, ESV, with our spirit, that we are actually children of God. So let's take this apart. What's our spirit? Our spirit is that immaterial part of who we are, the inside us, the real me. All of us project who we are outwardly, but then all of us have who we are inwardly. And that's the place that the Holy Spirit testifies to the inner spirit who we are. He bears witness, ESV, with our spirit. Nothing wrong with that translation, but I th- it also can be translated to, which I think gives the sense of it more clearly. The Holy Spirit bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. And so hear this now in the context of adoption. It's one thing if God adopted us, but we never knew it. We get to heaven, we're like, we're in the family of God. Who knew such a thing? But God wants his children to know they're in the family. And so how does he do it? 
He grants to us the indwelling Holy Spirit. And part of his ministry is to communicate to us, and this now is mystery to me how he does this exactly, but to communicate to us that we are actually children of God, to assure us of our status in the family of God. We're going to have a lot more about assurance later in Romans 8, but just to say this, we're not in the family of God because we have the feeling that we're in the family of God. We are in the family of God because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so there'll be many people who are going to step into heaven without assurance as they lived on earth and find out they are in the family of God. They're under the grace of God. So we're not saved by the feeling that I'm saved. So don't trust those feelings. Trust the objective work that Jesus did and the promise of God. But realize that in addition to that, God wants us inwardly to know and understand our status in his family. And that the Holy Spirit, part of his work is to do that within us. How does he do it? Verse 13, by leading us in moral transformation to kill sin in our life. Verse 14, by creating in us a sense of relationship with God by whom we say, Abba. And he has many other tools in his toolbox, by the way. But he wants to assure us that we are children of God. Amen. Okay? Amen. Love that. Now notice, Paul takes it one step further. Hang with me here now. Since we are God's children, this means that we must be heirs of God as well. Did you hear that in the language of the verse? If we are uh, children of God and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Christian, did you know that you have an inheritance? And you may be like, yeah, well, I'm not so sure. Mom and dad haven't really made it clear who the favorite is yet, so I don't know if I'm going to get one or not. And we think of inheritance, we typically think of what I get when, you know, the rich uncle uh, dies or mom and dad or grandma, grandpa, whatever it might be. And, you know, it's a possession, it's resources, it's whatever. That's the inheritance. And on earth, that's the way that it works. This inheritance is different because your earthly inheritance, you can spend, squander, or you have to give it away eventually yourself. You don't get to keep it. The heavenly inheritance that we have is much different. Listen to one of my favorite commentators. He says this, Paul uses the term heir here to denote the full possession of all that sonship means in the new age. But it's not so much ownership as relationship that he has in mind. Since God does not die, there is no question of inheritance in the strict sense of the term. But the heir is in a position of privilege as a result of his place in The family. Did you get that? Okay, we get an inheritance when somebody dies. God never dies. So if 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 we have to wait for God to die to get our inheritance, we're never going to get an inheritance. (laughs) But that's not the kind of inheritance that we're talking about. This is an inheritance of privilege and status as members of the family of God. In fact, it likely includes God himself who is our inheritance. You say, well, how good could it be? Notice, we are heirs with who? Christ, co-heirs with Christ, the Son of God. Now, what kind of inheritance do you think that Jesus has? Now, let me clarify something, by the way. When the text says that we are sons and daughters of God, we are not sons of daughters in exactly the same way that Jesus is. Jesus is himself God, co-equal with the Father and the Spirit, sharing all of his nature and all of their attributes We are not that, and we never will be that. So get thoughts about you being a God out of your mind. 
or talk to your family, they'll clarify it for you. <laughs> we are sons and daughters of God, though in the same sense as Jesus, in terms of our status in the family of God. And therefore, just like if, you, if you're an only child, you might think, I'm getting all of the inheritance, and then you find out you got three siblings, and you gotta, I gotta share my inheritance with them, we share, or I should say, Jesus shares his inheritance with us. And what kind of inheritance must Jesus have? What an amazing inheritance. I'm confident that someday, uh, we're in glory, some of you are going to come up to me and say, I had no idea what that whole inheritance thing meant. If I would have even begun to understood it, I would have clapped and cheered when you talked about it at church that Sunday. right. So I don't want to hear from you. (laughs) But truly, we do not begin to understand what God has in store for us. And I'm confident for me, and maybe for you, I do not begin to understand what it means to be a child of the Most High God. And yet I read the Bible, and it tells me That this is my status, not temporarily, but forever. Never to be taken away. I have a niece and a nephew that were adopted. And before before they were uh, adopted, there was an adopting agency my sister was working through. And they gave them a son. And they had this uh, little baby boy for a long time. I don't remember how long. I'm off notes here. It just comes to me to say this to you. But it was a long time. And all of a sudden, they got a terrible call. And they had to give that baby back. Terrible day in our family. To have a status in a family and then to have that taken away. That will never happen to you. You are a child of God forever. What better news is there than that? You know, it's funny, the ironic children that want to be adopted talk about it in these terms. There's a little phrase that they use for what they hope someday to be able to have. They're what? They're forever family. And to understand this kind of desire to be in a place and to belong and to have parents, they want a forever daddy. I think about foster children who so sadly, this year here, this year there, Every other year, a new mommy, a new daddy. What do they want? They want, a, they want a permanent daddy. They want a forever family. And I wonder if you see it here that God offers himself to every spiritual orphan and says, I am offering myself as your daddy. I am offering you into my 
family. And this is truly a forever family, the gathered redeemed of God, the family of God, every person who's trusted in Christ now, a family forever. We are brothers and sisters together in this family. And in the biblical vision, Jesus is both our forever Savior and our forever brother. So God is the Father is our Abba. Jesus is our brother. The Holy Spirit is our adopter, placing us and reassuring us that we are in the family. And I say, you know what? If I wasn't saved already, I'd want to get saved today. I would want to get saved right now. Friend, what are you looking for that you do not find offered in the promises and the love of God? What savior do you think is going to come along that's going to say, oh, here's a better deal for you. Look at all that God is offering by his grace. If I wasn't saved, I'd get saved today. And maybe today is the day that you Repent of your sins. See Jesus as the one who died for your sins. Put your place and trust in him as your Savior, your Lord, and welcome to the family. You ever seen those videos? Some people post them sometimes. It's videos of of, uh, kids who find out that they've been adopted. Oh, (laughs) I mean, it's like not a dry eye type thing, right? Sometimes it's a present or, you know, they have these special ways of sort of unveiling the fact that, you know, after all this period of time, we have adopted you. You're in this family to stay. And what do you always have? Joy and gladness and tears. And I just think this should be our joy today. A forever family with a forever dad. He is our Abba.